Blog Talk Radio.
Let's get started with our party by always introducing to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We first bring in Brother Anthony, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Father Brother Anthony, we now will bring in Brother Haki. We'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the move. Brother Africa, how you doing? My name is Haki Kamaki Mishoki. Current on with African awareness, and my thing is all about institution building. And the reason why institution building is so important in the African community. Recently, I read an article on the nature of dystopia. But let me just talk a little bit about that. About that article. In any event, dystopia is defined as a as a world or society in which people lead wretched, dehumanized, filthy lives. And so, question when we look in terms of the socioeconomic policies that permeate the society. Clearly, they are all designed to dehumanize. And certainly when we talk about terms of being spied upon, there's numerous technology specifically for the purpose of spying on people. So this question in terms of dystopia, it's a very real question in the society. Now, numerous books, including Scalzi's Collapsing Empire, Sinclair Lewis' book, It Can't Happen Here, and Orwell's book, 1984, all depict the horrors of dystopia. Now, propaganda, an intimate feature of dystopia, has been elevated to a science known as agnotology. Agnotology manifests itself in your society by utilizing, as Orwell would say, newspeak, or language that's used to limit thought. For example, America is a democracy, or America wars are fought for freedom. In reality, the opposite is true. Also, dystopia utilizes double-think, or the belief in contradictory ideas at the same time. Examples are, war is peace. Of course, not really. Uh, Ignorance is strength. That's what's on his face. Or counterinsurgency theory, which says that anytime U.S. military intervenes in someone else's country, that the U.S. is the good guys, the people defending the country is the bad guys. It's absurd. Now, also, recently, there's a new concept that has arisen on the scene in terms of, um, in terms of uh, this notion in terms of dystopia. That's the whole question around woke culture. In other words, woke culture seeks to uh, limit people's uh, intellectual ability to think because what it does is, for instance, if I say criticize someone in terms of their racism or their, their gender biases or whatever, then it's just, I'm perceived as somehow being biased against those those kinds of ailments that impact the society. And so, therefore, the onus or the problem lies with me and not with the people who espouse the racism or the sexism and so forth and so on. So, wake, so woke culture is very, very very, very conducive in terms of undermining or limiting any type of intellectual discourse. This is precisely what you, what you want in the era of dystopia. Now, dystopia's conditions create the perception exploiting the vulnerability of the weak, and I'm defining the weak as non-capitalist class, which includes the middle class as well, is both moral and justifiable. But the perception gets embodied in the bureaucracy and through its public servants. For example, Congress passed laws to deny assistance to young mothers with children. Citing these mothers they have two years to find employment before benefits are stopped. The only problem is, in a capitalist society, unemployment means more profit. The disincentive to hire people explains the unofficial unemployment rate 
or well over 20% in American society. In other words, the, there's no intent in terms of critiquing the system, but, but as opposed, what they're trying to do is to humiliate those people, uh, young mothers with their children, by having them not have access to, to food and shelter. In the process, humiliating them, and by extension, not only just the mothers, but humiliating the children as well. Now, it gets more sinister. In San Antonio, Texas, a cop, Matthew Lockhurst, attempted to feed a homeless man a sandwich consisting of dog waste. The hostility against the weak is so embedded in law enforcement, his criminality was protected by a system and a mere technicality orchestrated by his superiors preventing his firing for his inhumane actions. Now, the atrocities inflicted upon the weak by law enforcement is endemic and exists countrywide. Most law enforcement agencies ensure the constitutional rights of its employees. But go a step further. Many, like New York City, extend a period in which a cop who commits a crime can't be questioned for 48 hours. This tactic affords the offending cop ample opportunity to talk with law enforcement's union representatives and others to concoct plausible deniability, which is the, the essence or the foundation of dystopia. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself, is this dystopia growing in America? And if so, what is the plan? Without, without institutions in the community, is justice plausible under dystopia? How about human rights? If these things are not achievable under a state of dystopia, then the question is, what are we going to do? But we need to have institutions to ask that question in terms of precisely what are we going to do. So I encourage people to des- desperately get busy about the, about the work of building those institutions because it's so critical to our, our longevity in the society. And I want to thank you again, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki, Father Brother Haki. We now bring in Brother Jabari. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Peace, everybody. Brother Jabari, resident uh, researcher, looking forward to another insightful program. And I just want to um, say for my opening statement, it's important as we're um, engaging this MLK weekend to understand the person for who he was and not get caught up in certain people's um, propagandized versions of his legacy. But remember to look at the whole picture in terms of what he contributed to our struggle, Pete. Father Brother Zachary Father Brother Jabari, we introduce Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and thank you, and greetings to the brother, fellow panelists and everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism since the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses, and Father Brother Moses. We now bring in Brother Maurice. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Revolutionary greetings, brothers. Um, I, I want to thank the uh, panel and thank the uh, platform for having me back on the show again this year. My name is uh, Brother Maurice. I am a member of the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, and we uh, we are a party based uh, based on around the teachings of uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, first president of Ghana. Um, our vision and, and goal and, and um, duty is to develop a united socialist states of Africa also under scientific socialism. 
And I just want to thank uh, the brothers on the panel and thank you, Brother African, for having me on here tonight. Okay, panelists, analysts, uh, let's get started with our party today. Actually, begin to open up the first segment of what's going on in your world and the community. We start off with you, Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world and the community? Uh, certainly. A um, couple of things. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, from um, uh, first, foot, uh, you know, a very, uh, you know, disturbing news item, you know, from the motherland. Uh, I read an article about, uh, you know, the uh, uh, about a situation going on in Kenya in which some of the Africans are so impoverished that they're resorting to uh, pimping their, 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 their spouses and their children in order to make money. And what they're doing is uh, Kenya uh, uh, attracts uh, a, lot, uh, a lot of tourists from, uh, uh, from, 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 from Europe, uh, especially and uh, particularly uh, southern Europe and um, other uh, 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 other part and other capitalist countries. And what they do is they uh, that 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 they pay uh, you know huge sums of money in order to exploit uh, you know the uh, you know uh, you know children and women. Uh, you know that live along the Kenyan coastline. Uh, let's see, I think um, Mombasa and some other cities along the uh, along the, the you know the Kenyan coast. And um, you know it's a dev and 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 uh, you know it's a devastating indictment on the failure, you know, to tr- for Africans to organize and unite in order. Uh, Truth out imperialism uh, in all of its forms, and uh, you know, put an end to you know to to women's exploitation. Also, uh, this Wednesday was Martin Luther King Jr.'s 91st birthday, would have been, and um, you know that's being commemorated, in, you know, in a lot of lot of areas of the U.S. tomorrow. But I think, uh, you know, but I think this is a time to reflect on what he tried to achieve during his lifetime and how we could continue to bring that work forward. And, uh, and uh, you know, if you, and if you analyze what, what uh, you know, his work and his teachings, you'll find that he was against uh, capitalism. And definitely for, you know, uh, a fundamental change in society. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. Um, Brother Zabari, what's going on in your world community? While we wait for Brother Zabari. We will go to Brother Hackey. Can you Brother hear me Hackey, now? I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Oh, you, Hold on. Yes, can you hear we me can, now? Brother Bobby. Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. I'm going to um, preface my comments from a discussion that I had with a friend of mine recently in regards to um, the miseducation system in terms of what, in terms of the U.S. construct. 
And in this particular discussion, I was talking with a friend, I posed the question, which um, I would love for the panelists to discuss as well. Why is it that in terms of U.S. schools, there's so much emphasis put on memorizing the most trivial facts to pass standardized tests versus truly teaching people the life skills they need to truly make a positive impact in this world? Because when you look at our school system as they're established, they're so busy focused on um, for students going through the process of memorizing trivial facts, they have no concept of understanding those things that are going to help them be productive in society as well as understanding um, what is really going on in terms of how decisions are made and how the society operates. So they're taught how to um, get a meaningful job in this exploitative society, but not to question the exploitation that takes place and how to figure out what their role can be in terms of creating a new paradigm. All right. Thank you, Brother Jabari. All right, Brother Jabari, going to Brother Haki. But Brother Haki, what's going on in your world in the community? Yeah, well, you know, back in 2010, uh, Michelle Obama offered a, the Healthy, Hungry, Free uh, Kids Act. Uh, and the whole idea was to ensure that kids in school between 5 to 18 years of age had access to fruit and vegetables in their diet. It also talked about the importance of children providing whole wheat grains and low-fat milk, you know, for the students. Um, and also limited uh, saturated fat, trans fats, and sodium in their diet because she understood that, these, that what you eat impacts in terms of your health. And so, therefore, she advocated importance in terms of good nutrition. Well, since 2010, the conservatives have been advocating, you know, to change that policy. And under the current agriculture secretary, Sonny Perdue, of course, if you into chicken, then, you know, Sonny Perdue is one of those individuals who headed up the large, large agribusiness of chicken. Uh, he's currently the agricultural um, secretary. But in any event, uh, they, they, did, they did three things. Um, they undermined uh, um, Obama's uh, uh, program by what they're going to do now, they're going to allow servings of flavored, of flavored low-fat milk. Now, here's the irony. Chocolate-flavored milk means it's no longer low-fat. <laughs> so it's a convenient way, a very slick way in terms of getting around, in terms of limiting no, you know, low-fat when it comes to consumption of milk. Only half of the weekly grain consumption would be whole grain. So as opposed to Obama plan where you had whole grain on a daily basis, they're saying only half of the week is that uh, 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 acceptable. Also, it, it gives schools discretion in terms of limiting sodium. And, of course, we know sodium in terms of relationship to high blood pressure. And the mere fact that salt is everything we consume, that are, you know, that to not monitor sodium as it relates to what we consume, I mean, is tantamount to endorsing high blood pressure among among young people. Now, the question is, why eliminate healthy foods for estimated 22 million poor children who attend these schools in the United States? Well, there are three reasons the conservatives gave. One, they said food uh, because of food waste. In other words, kids don't eat healthy food, and so therefore it's a waste of food. So therefore, giving them healthy food is ill-advised. Well, of course, there was no discussion on ways to make the healthy food more palatable to the kids, nor was there any mention in terms of um, the fact that food waste existed even before the healthy food plan was in existence. Secondly, they said that school budgets won't allow for healthy foods. That's very, very interesting. Uh, of course, we understand in terms of school budgets, they are allocated based upon, um, you know, uh, the, um, the, well, the kind of taxes people pay. And rich districts where people pay higher taxes in terms of homes, then, of course, they have a better educational system. So they're using that as a justification to say in poor districts where people don't have those kind of taxes, tax base, then, therefore, it's justified in terms of feeding poor children very poor quality food. 
And then, of course, the last reason was, of course, in keeping with Sarah Palin's logic, uh, parents should dictate what their kids eat. In other words, uh, if you're poor, you accept what you get. And if you're wealthy, then, of course, you're feeding your, your, your children healthy food is, is, a, is a good thing. So clearly this kind of irony in terms of, you know, what it is in terms of, in terms of, uh, of the role of, of, of health as it relates to food consumption, uh, once again, it's been turned into a kind of a, um, uh, a, a, a kind of a proposition in which it's, it's being utilized as a, as a weaponry, being weaponized against poor people. So clearly uh, the, the, the so-called conservatives don't have the interests of poor people at heart, and specifically African children at heart. As well for understanding it, it seems to me that we have to begin to ask the question, you know, just, you know, you know, what, what, what can we do in terms of safeguarding health of our children? So I just want to bring that out. Using food as a weapon to oppress our people. I hear you, Brother Hake. Let's move forward now and bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's, to me, to me, when I look at this outlook, uh, it's been a pretty slow uh, week uh, as I see it. Uh, uh, Nothing spectacular happened in terms of the state and and the government structure and stuff. Uh, pretty much, pretty it, it, what's going on is what is expected more or less. And uh, upcoming this Saturday, though, this Saturday will be the 25th of January, and and uh, there will be a, a march. Uh, a demonstration probably throughout the world, but but definitely in in the bigger cities in the U.S., including D.C. and uh, just uh, against the war and the preparations for war, etc. And uh, uh, so that's about all I got to say right now. Thank you. Hey, Father, brother Moses, we now will bring in. Fellow Maurice, what's going on in your world and the community? Yes, yes. Um, right now in Oakland, California, we have a group of black women, black moms, who organize under the, under the the name Moms for Housing, and their main uh, goals is to they want to create a housing registry, uh, want to uh, outlaw short term rentals, and they want to take housing back from the corporate forces. Uh, this is a direct quote from one of the leaders of the um, Moms for Housing movement. She said, we're not leaving. We're bringing awareness to this national and global housing crisis, and we don't intend to stop. And this is Dominique Walker. She continues to say that um, this is the beginning of a movement. The system is designed to protect the wealthy. It wasn't designed for us. And the system that she didn't really uh, um, identify is capitalism. And imperialism, because this this is this is the system that that's put profit over people, and I conclude with that. So that's what's going on in, in my neck of the woods or, or in the world. Thank you, brother Maurice, and to the listening audience, you're listening to Africa on the Move at your host, brother Africa. We will continue the discussion on what's going on in your world community, and we'd like for you to call and share in by dialing at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one right now. We're going to pause for the cause, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon.
And uh, what can we draw from this? One of the things I'd like to raise with the panelists tonight is recently this past week, there was a commercial flight, U.S. commercial flight, out in the West Coast in Los Angeles where an airplane had to turn around because they claimed to have some kind of engine problem or something. And by turning around and coming back to land, they said they had to make the plane lighter by releasing fuel from his tanks and the fuel that they released all of it fell in the area on school children and teachers. What do y'all make of that phenomenon? And is more to that than just an innocent uh, mistake of putting fuel, making fuel on a school area as relates to a school area that basically was dominated by um, African children and Hispanic children, or other lives of children of color. What do y'all make of that? Brother Haki, give me a take on that. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was problematic. Um, one of the things that the media didn't report was the fact that the co-pilot position was that they didn't have to dump the fuel because they could make the landing without dumping the fuel. It was the uh, towers that insisted that they dump the fuel. And the mere fact that they dumped a few, you know, on schools speaks values in terms of the, the perception of the value of the lives of, you know, African and Hispanic children. Uh, so for me, it's very, very problematic. Because particularly when you talk about the fact that these 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 um, fuel engines is very is a, is a carcinogen. I mean, deeply so. And the impact in terms of their health have repercussions to last for for years to come. And so, therefore, you got to be very, very concerned in terms of you know dumping that kind of that kind of that kind of fuel on human beings. So I thought it was very, 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 for me, it's very, very problematic. And the mere fact that they happened to investigate that, the mere fact that the co-pilot is saying that they didn't have to, and they did anyway, it raises suspicions in my mind. So I think it's something that needs to be investigated. But I think that it's indicative of the kind of uh, uh, loathing uh, they have of the. Um, when it comes to, you know, uh, children of color. So um, I'm not surprised they would do something like that. Brother Anthony, your response to that phenomenon? I, I find it very disturbing because um, usually usually they uh, the, the, the terrain beneath the flight paths is mapped out very carefully. So they're aware of, uh, you know, what... Uh, you know the terrain and what uh, what uh, what facilities that pass over when 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 the when, when airline when the airplane takes a particular route. So uh, you know it's very disturbing for all the reasons Brother Haki stated, and in addition, uh, it seems like uh, you know that there was malice behind that because. Uh, you know, they were aware that they were uh, that 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 there were there there were schools or other uh, uh, other uh, institutions in the in, in the path of that uh, uh, of that uh, airliner, and uh, you know, uh, is very is very disturbing uh, because of the long term consequences of being exposed to that fuel might have, um, you know, on the health of the children that they were exposed to it, especially, and adults for that matter, but particularly uh, the children because their immune systems aren't as fully developed as those of adults. 
Brother Jabari, what you gathered from this particular incident? Was it just an innocent incident, or maybe are there more to it than what they are not saying, as Brother Hackey alluded to? What's your take? You know, um, in regards to the situation that happened, first and foremost, let's just show you just how exploitative capitalism is. Because one thing you have to take into consider, I'm not trivializing the environmental or the impact that it has on those um, students at that school that um, had to witness this horrific incident. But the fact that they that the solution would be as expensive as this fuel is, that that wasn't the answer. It's just to leak, just to, like it's expendable, like you can just make it re- be reproduced that easily. When it's a very expensive process to refine the fuel. And yet again, just putting in the argument of while we continue with in terms of the society using that which um, can be replenished instead of finding natural resources so that we can alleviate these kind of issues. Because this is something we've been dealing with historically. People have reported time and time again when you have dependence on these toxic, poisonous um, fossil fuels, you can create all kinds of conditions if for some reason if they were to spill or if they were exposed to people in a certain radius. So that's the thing we got to understand. This is, yet again, it's repeating some terms of these kind of issues because we know what kind of impact they have once they get into the water containment. And one thing that we need to take note of, the fact that that oil hit that ground, that ground is going to be tainted for who knows how many generations, unfortunately. So if they had any idea of doing the community garden, that's out of the question, unfortunately. Brother Moses, followed by Brother Maurice. Are we being played again, Brother Moses and Maurice? Well, I'm agreeing with everything the, the so far the three brothers have said, and, uh, and so I don't really have anything to add to it. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a bad situation that should that should have should have been avoided. Uh, um, but um, you know, I don't have anything new to add to it. Thank you. And your response, Brother Maurice. Uh, it is a def- it's definitely another case of environmental racism produced by capitalism, profit over people. Um, we've seen this time and time again with ExxonMobil pumping um, toxins into black communities in Texas. We've seen this time and time again with uh, a council alley district that they this, this is what it's called due to the the, to- the toxins and and all these uh, factories in black neighborhoods up in Louisiana. And we've seen this with I-95 going straight down to black, chopping down black communities. So this is, this is again, man, uh, like I said, uh, environmental uh, racism produced under, uh, produced by capitalism. We're the first one, uh, Africans are the first ones to get explored at every time um, a profit is being made by the capitalists. Hmm. You know, one of the points they raised in, um, in one reporting, as relates to the incident, was that they know as a rule of thumb when you're flying these airplanes, if you're going to leak or if you're going to let any kind of gas out and you don't want to hit the ground or hit anybody, that you must be a certain height in which they claim it will evaporate before it gets to the ground. But in this case, they had a chance to turn around and they knew that they had released the stuff because of so-called weight. They had a chance to leak the gas out in a, you know, in a certain aptitude to make sure that didn't happen, but they didn't do that. So I'm just often wondering, you know, I think Brother Hackey said earlier, 
in terms of um, the consequences of the health issues that may come about years later. And who will be responsible for these children as well as these adults? Because the teachers, they were also affected by it. So um, how do you go about or how do you deal with this issue if health issues arise later on in these adults and children's lives 5, 10, 15, 20 years later? Who would say that it didn't come about as a result of the dumping of the gas? How do we... Um, create the necessary documentation to ensure that these children have will not be compromised by this particular act by, the, by this particular act by the airlines. Um, brother Anthony Hackey, how do we deal with that? To make sure in the future well, you know, it doesn't go on scale, this particular uh, incident and how it may have impacted the children as well as the adults. Well, I, um, uh, um, I, I agree with your point wholeheartedly, Brother Africa, and I think one of the ways in which that this incident has to be documented and it, and it has to be kept in the limelight, in a sense, that, uh, so, that, so that when, uh, when, when, when those children and adults that were affected by exposure to, to this fuel develop these illnesses later on, uh, you know, uh, you know the cause can be pinpointed, and the do- and those who were responsible uh, for 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 that uh, uh, you know for that decision be penalized for that, or be a force to you know uh, you know uh, pay uh, uh, you, you, you know pay the uh, the health costs of, uh, uh, of of dealing with this situation. Uh, because there are a lot of carcinogens and other dangerous, uh, you know, side effects associated with, uh, you know, with a- any sort of uh, uh, petrochemical or fossil fuel. So uh, this, ha- uh, you know, th- th- this has to be, uh, you know, definitely documented so, uh, so so that the people that are suffering have uh, have recourse. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I, I, you know, the reality is, brother Africa. I don't think there's any documentation that's really going to um, uh, be of uh, any use to the children in the future. And I say that for this reason: one thing fundamentally we have to understand is the whole corrupt criminal justice system. That's the first thing. So we talk about a system. We talk essentially we talk about a system uh, in which you know the airline industry has all the lawyers, it has all the financial backing behind it. Yeah. It's in a position to, to pay people to say what it wants to be said. Who's going to stop these attorneys from getting up there and saying that, well, listen, we can definitively prove that the, the, the jet fuel was responsible for the ailment that the kids are confronted with, given the fact that they're subjected to all kinds of carcinogens on a daily basis, just living in, in L.A. So it would be very difficult, it'd be a very difficult uh, standard to overcome. And this is the fundamental problem that we have. I think to some extent it's the question of class comes into play because I think if they were wealthy kids, then I think the Jew would be much more inclined to say, you know, no matter what you say, you know, uh, the mere fact that uh, these kids came down with this ailment uh, raises real suspicion in terms of the culpability of this jet fuel and much more likely to say, okay, the airline industry is guilty. But these are poor children. So I'm not sure that same standard will be applied when it comes to your poor children. And I got to say, Brother Africa, one of the things that perturbs me to no end is the mere fact that they could have dumped that into the ocean. The ocean is, is literally minutes away from the airport. They could have dumped it in the oceans and t- still return to land 
if in fact that was an issue. And the whole issue that you raised in terms of, you know, the, the altitude in terms of dumping that stuff, that was totally waived. And nobody's even talking about that. Nobody's, nobody's talking about that. Given the fact that they know that the care fuel is carcinogen, and then they know that they violated their own policy in terms of dumping that, that fuel at a low altitude, raises real concerns in terms of their, their culpability, in terms of their criminality. But the mere fact that documenting that is, is not enough speaks values in terms of the kind of injustice that exists in society and whether or not, you know, these kids can actually get justice or these women or these men and women who were employed at, at that school can actually receive justice in the future. I'm a bit pessimistic, Brother Africa. I don't think, I don't think any amount of documentation can, can, is going to definitively allow you know, them to successfully sue the airlines for what they did to the, to, the, to, the, to the children, to those adults, you know, employed at that school. And so... And that's my view on that. Brother Maurice and Brother Moses, for your perspective, what lessons can we learn from this? Is there anything that we can learn from from this incident from your perspective? Brother Maurice first and then Brother Moses. Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, it's been time after time of these situations popping up over and over again. Um, I gave two earlier and also with Flint. Flint, Michigan, and, and the things that we can learn from this is that these corporations and these uh, private private uh, owners, you know, with these airlines uh, dumping fuel out over black communities or or um, defecating in the water systems in Haiti by United Nations um, army men, well, whatever the case is, man, they don't they don't care about us. They care about their profit, man, more than a person, and definitely more. Then Africa, then the sad part about it, we built all this, all this wealth up through our labor, not only not only here in in America, definitely in America, but also on our home, our homeland, Africa, all around the world, Caribbean and Europe. So the, at the end of the day, what we should learn from this is to learn to to honestly organize, read books that attack and address these um, things, um, join a revolutionary uh, party organization. To destroy this thing, to destroy this beast, this monster system um, that we live in. These people, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, whoever it is, Tony Blair. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. These people don't—they don't care about us. Even the new president, whether it's Joe Biden, Biden, or whoever it is, Elizabeth Warren. These people don't don't really care about us. Bourgeois politics is not the answer. That's what we got to learn from this situation. Brother Moses, is there anything we can learn from this situation from your perspective? Well, that's a hard hard man to follow there. Um, Certainly certainly, uh, everything he said is true and that we need to get organized. We need to join up revolutionary parties, et cetera. Um, And um, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Before we move on to another issue, Brother Haki and Anthony, I'm just wondering that uh, when you look at the behavior in the history of the capitalist forces, they seem to have adopted this universe as part of their universal laboratory, and the people become the guinea pigs and the mice. Is it possible it's more to this dropping of this stuff, and these children and teachers are being used for future um, data? Of some form of experimentation that may be taking place. Interestingly enough, Brother Africa, uh, now that you mentioned in terms of guinea pigs, one of the things that's happening, uh, Western um, 
research firms have been using Africans as guinea pigs or, or for you know for uh, <clears throat> for medical purposes. Now I do understand the reason why they they chose Africans was simply because the DNA of Africa extends throughout the world, and so therefore, if you can innovate a a, a medication. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, Africa would certainly be the place in terms of universally being ap- applicable to b- to benefit to benefit uh, the masses of, of of the world's people. And I certainly understand that. But the mere fact, a lot of this 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 this, this, this work is not just medical; it's also scientific. And so, therefore, what we do when we talk about innovation of diseases, the innovation of certain viruses, and we got to understand that uh, a lot of this work that that's taking place is very very suspect. And so, therefore, this notion in terms of Africans as guinea pig is nothing new in terms of the uh, in terms of capitalist lexicon. I think that as it relates to um, you know uh, in, a, in 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 the U.S. you know uh, the mere fact that this is unprecedented of dropping this fuel this fuel uh, the jet fuel on these children, the mere fact that it was unprecedented makes me I suggest make me suggest I always suspect that maybe uh, they, they just wanted to see in terms of, you know, the kind of exposure in, in terms of what's going to happen long-term or intermediary uh, exposure, how it's going to impact on the health of the children, uh, perhaps. Because it was unprecedented for them to do that. There were so many alternatives they could have utilized in ter- as opposed to simply dropping their fuel on those children there at school. So so, so perhaps given the, uh, the kind of um, cur- intellectual curiosity when it comes to medical research, uh, particularly the innovation of, you know, uh, diseases and viruses, it may have been calculated. It may have said, well, let's see what, let's drop it on, let's see what happens. Perhaps we have, it has medical or uh, scientific or innovations as far as the, the U.S. is concerned. So, therefore, let's drop it on the kids, let's see what happens, and we can use that, that, that information to innovate better weaponry in terms of maintaining our domination of the world. Who knows? But one thing is for sure, I'm very skeptical in terms of, you know, uh, this rationale in terms of dropping that fuel oil on those children. So the question that you raise, is it plausible that they would do that for experimental reasons? Absolutely. Nobody can discount that. The history is very clear on that point. Yes, I uh, I, I agree. I, I, I think that it, that it is a possibility. And uh, and uh, there was a, there's a long history of uh, capitalist scientists doing experiments on Africans without uh, you know without uh, without uh, our consent or knowledge in, in, you know in many cases. So uh, you know so 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 it it, it is a possibility. A, right, a, a, a rather heinous one, but it is. You know, panelists, one of the concerns I have as we look at these kind of incidents uh, happening within our community and to our communities is that if there's no organized response from our community to address these kind of incidents, then what it also does is that it encourages them, or more likely you will see other incidents um, spreading in other parts of the, of the country as it relates to our communities of thinking that, okay, as a result of there were a lack of some kind of collective organized response, it's okay maybe to do it again 
because we can see what happened as a result of this particular incident. Do we lend ourselves to that kind of behavior, panelists? Because since it happened in L.A., we're supposed to be a, a large metropolitan city, supposed to be a city where there's a so-called bunch of conscious, educated African people. If they get away from L.A., then why you think they may not do it in, in a city like in Birmingham, Alabama, or in Richmond, Virginia, or in Kentucky, et cetera, et cetera? I I concur, uh, Brother Africa, and I think the problem is that we lack adequate organization to defend ourselves from these kind of attacks and experimentation, and uh, and uh, and uh, and our disorganized state. At best, we can complain and try to appeal. Uh, to the morals of our enemies, but uh, but history has shown that that doesn't work. It we have to get uh, be able to uh, 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 to struggle on another level, but in order to to increase that level, we have to be organized. Brother Anthony, moral capitalism. Isn't that an um, oxymoron? <laughs> anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. No, no, but the thing about though, a disorganized <laughs> people, when when they're disorganized, all they can try to do is appeal to, uh, 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 you, you know, to an enemy's, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, morality. What, uh, you know, if that <laughs> even exists. Well, you know, that's the way the pan Af- the first Pan African Conference started started out. I sure, mean, sure. Uh, it grew, but uh, but the thing about it, though, that's what I'm saying. Uh, you know that after uh, you know uh, you know after a few centuries of this going on, it's about time we understand that we have to get, we have to form ind- independent political organization or organizations. But the no, days I, I, of I, trying to tackle it alone uh, 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 have long been over. You know. No, I I I agree. I'm I'm just laughing because, you know, when you equate uh, morality with capitalism, it's like you're, you're essentially talking to people who are, a, who are amoral, and so therefore, to reason them in terms of morality, they perceive you as somehow naive because they don't they don't believe in that. For them, it's about power mm-hmm. and wealth. But in any event, I think that um, so you know, brother Africa, you know. You know, one of the things is that we have to disabuse this this notion in the, in the minds of so many of our people that you that we are American. I think one of the things is that we want to desperately believe that we are American, and, and, and the problem with that, it leaves you sort of uh, 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 exposed. And what I mean by exposed, I mean that when you think in terms of as you being American, then what it does is that you don't necessarily see your objective condition in terms of one of war. You seem to see yourselves as being part of the same forces that are implementing war uh, against you. And so, therefore, it becomes problematic in terms of one's ability, particularly our people, in terms of being able to do those things strategically that enable us to survive. And so I think that what happens is that our people see the incident in terms of dropping their fuel oil on our children as an isolated incident, not necessarily seeing any, any, any other kind of, having any other kind of connotations. 
But of course, those of us who understand the history of America understand that, damn, ain't nothing that they won't do. And we understand that point quite clearly. But I think, nonetheless, it's a point that a lot of our people don't necessarily get because they still caught up in this notion that, you know, I'm American. You know, and, 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 it's, and it's fine to believe that. But the problem is that the proof is in the pudding. And if, and if, and if, you, and if your condition is such that you're treated as an outsider, then perhaps what they're telling you that you're not American. And if that is the situation, then it seems to me, then you got to start thinking like, you know, you're something other than American and do those kind of things in terms of the promote your survival. But until we do that, I think that's a tendency for our people to see all the stuff as isolated, isolated incidents. And so we talk about police brutality, they're more likely to say, well, that's them. They get beat up because they're poor black folks, and so therefore they deserve what they get because, you know, they're poor, they're poly, they're poly with disrespect to the police. Or we look at poor children in schools, they may say, well, these poor children don't have access to good food. Well, it's their, their parents' fault. You know, if they were educated, you know, they went to school like me and got this, got this knowledge, you know, got this job making, you know, you know, seven, six figures, then they wouldn't have that issue. And so therefore, that's their problem. So I think that's a tendency to see these, these, these issues as being in, in, in a disconnected uh, kind of way. And as long as we do that, then we can never put two plus two together to understand that because we're talking about a system that's fundamentally at war with us, that our obligation is to understand that we must defend ourselves. That's only intelligent. That's what Malcolm Metro would say. It's only intelligent that you would do that. But I think because it's been about people are so confused in terms of who they are, I think this notion in terms of being American uh, sort of um, trumps all other concerns. And as long as we think that, then I think that we, we're not in a position to actually do the kind of things that we need to do in terms of defending ourselves. I think also to a certain extent we we can minimize the notion that when you when term to talk about being American, to to some extent you got to internalize your own inferiority. Because the whole thing, if the inner system says that you're inferior and you support that system, then those people who run that system, when they see you acquiesce, you know, to the system, when they say you support the system, then in their mind you're inferior. And so therefore for them, you get more oppression, not less less oppression. Because what they're saying in their mind because you acquiesce, because you participate in your own oppression, that means intellectually you're inferior, and so therefore I'm going to victimize you even more. And that's the point that you were getting to earlier, Brother Africa, in terms of, you know, there's this kind of our, 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 our failure to, to oppose or to resist. Does it, does it create more problems for us than it solves? And you're absolutely right. It creates a lot of problems for us, but our people haven't got to, most of our people haven't figured it out yet. We will. We'll get there. We'll pay the price for it, but we'll get there. We pay the price, mm-hmm. but clearly we have to dis- distribute this notion terms so what it is to be American and understand that we're human beings first. Brother Maurice, I'd add to that. Yes, um, I would definitely say that uh, us, when I say us, I mean in uh, Pan-African mandate, uh, brothers and sisters, revolutionary uh, Pan-African mandate, we have a huge responsibility of, of bringing the awareness um, to our, and this is what we're doing now with this show, and I would say others out there with, who are Pan-African minded, um, revolutionary minded, we have to uh, uh, awaken the masses on what's going on today with this situation. Um, and I, and I want to piggyback what Brother Haki said is, is a valuable point. Because we're born in America, we are not American. Uh, I'm going to copycat what Malcolm said. Malcolm said if, if a kitten was born in the oven, they don't make him a biscuit. If a cat was born in a doghouse, they don't make him a cat dog. He's still a cat, right? So this thing about African-Americans is oxymoron. We are Africans. P- 
Peter Peter Tosh uh, said it better. No matter where you come from, as long as you're a black man or black woman, you're African. And that's what we got to get that understanding. Once we get that understanding, you know, once we put that at the top of our uh, 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 priorities, not not watching football game, not game and sport, not uh, entertainment. Right now, we entertainment is our freedom because we go look at entertainment and do entertaining things, drink a beer, have a glass of wine to unwind from the everyday struggles of, of capitalism under this system. But it could be better than that. Uh, it could be better than that by reading, tuning into programs like this, feeding your brain, understanding um, what we're under. That's what that's what we got to go. And, and I, I I agree with Brother Haki 100%. This is where we at right now. We can't be um, doing doing the things that we've been doing over the years. And people, and also like Brother Jabari stated earlier, people are going to be celebrating uh, MLK Day tomorrow. Um, you know, uh, marches, you got the women march, you got a gun rally march, and all of that sort. But um, I think King, I would say this and I would conclude, Patrice Lumumba and King, Patrice Lumumba who was gruesomely assassinated by Western imperial powers on January 17, 1960, the great Patrice Lumumba and Dr. Martin Luther King, they they would want us, in, in order to keep their spread going, we got to put our work to action on what we're doing right now. Uh, I don't think uh, celebrating uh, having a breakfast like they had at the uh, at the General Assembly building among Virginia politicians having a breakfast in the name of Dr. Martin Luther King. That's not that's not what he wants. You know, he didn't he didn't want no statue of him. He don't want a glorification. He wants us to put in the work for the freedom of masses, the masses Africans. Until until we do that, this they're gonna continue dumping gas. They're gonna continue dumping urine, uh, defecation, anything they can dump on us. They're going to continue doing it until we until we rise up and organize among ourselves. And I conclude with that. Thank you, Brother Maurice. And to our listening audience panelists, you are listening to Africa on the Move. We're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we're going to continue the discussion of what's going on in your world and the community. And panelists, I would like for you to weigh in on a couple of issues that I thought were interesting. And those issues are, one, a recent grave site found in New York, a large African bodies, particularly women and youth, being dumped in, and no names, and what that means as a possibility of its relationship to these mass killing and missing over 70,000 African women. We are going to talk about a little bit also about this whole question of the statement that former U.S. President Jimmy Carter made and it relates to the history of the United States and what is truly American. And last but not least, we would like to talk just a little bit more about the narrative and the legacy of Dr. King before we go into our theme tonight, which is weapons, technology, and oppression. So we're going to pause for this call, and then we come back. We would like for y'all to give y'all um, take on this issue of this recently found grave site in New York City, a lot of sons of African bodies. We'll be right back. You're listening to Africa on the Moon.
back to Africa on the Move. It's your host, Brother Africa. Yes, you're listening to a show that speaks truth to power. And when we just find something, we're going to stand behind it. We want to provide you with information, so not only can you think critically, but you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and all of humanity from the various forms of oppression. We want to educate you, motivate you, stimulate you to a higher level of activity to help move your people forward as well as humanity. So this is what Africa on the Move is all about. Because we know as human beings, without information cannot think, and while organization cannot think clearly. So we want you to be properly politically informed and educated, and at the same time, join an organization that's doing something for your people. And humanity. If you are not organized and you are not in an organization, then by your very act of being disorganized, you are participating against your own form of oppression and your people. You acting like you are the enemy. In essence, you are objectively when we look at your inactivity. So, African people of goodwill, if you want to push humanity forward, join the organization, get organized, and fight. Enemy. At this point in time, we'd like to welcome our panelists and analysts back, and we were talking about what's going on in our world community. Panelists, recently, yesterday on the 18th, I listened to an African podcast show, a show that has been created and produced by Emperor Chi called New Day of Liberation and Resurrection, and they had a guest from Baltimore who reported an incident that was recently discovered of a huge grave site that were discovered in New York City that was owned and controlled by Franklin Allen. In this grave site, they have found large bodies of young African women being dumped in these grave sites. And there has been some discussions on that grave site in relationship to, you know, right now the count has risen at least for the past five to six years of 70,000 African women, particularly young women, they have disappeared and no one knows where they are. Also, they, the, one of the young ladies who reported the incident, they talked about possibly a connection between that grave site and many bodies that were found during Katrina, and that's where they end up at. Panelists, what do you make of that possibility and that reality? Uh, this grave site, a lot of sums of African bodies continue to be dumped in it, and nothing has been said of of this phenomenon. Brother Anthony? Yes. Um, it is uh, very, uh, very disturbing, you know, to find, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, another mass grave in, 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 uh, in uh, Manhattan, especially. Uh, but... Given uh, you know U.S. history, you know it's not surprising that there would be a mass grave uh, found. Uh, if people recall, I think we might have discussed this in the past. There was an African burial ground found underneath uh, in Lower Manhattan, where uh, where, where, where enslaved Africans. Were dumped in a mass grave in New York, 
And uh, this looks like this this might be a, an unrelated incident because this was found near Rikers Island and owned yes. by uh, and owned by the uh, uh, the Bureau of Prisons of the State of New York, which is a government agency. So uh, you know, so uh, you know, it's very uh, very disturbing. And also, what's even more disturbing is the lack of uh, of an outcry over the disappearance of all, uh, of these sisters, and uh, and why that is not, that doesn't uh, that that's not mentioned in any of the media, even in in, in in media in which there's heavy African participation. Uh, there's not much, not much being said about it, and that's the and that's the, the saddest part of all of all of this. That all of these people are disappearing, and uh, and and nothing is being said about it, and it's not being addressed, and it speaks to neither the fact that we have to organize, uh, get organized politically. To get our issues uh, addressed. Haki, for something like this take place in the silence from the U.S. government, what does that? Um, what's the implication of that? Could anything of that magnitude take place without some kind of facilitation of institutions and high-ranking people in this government? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I think first and foremost, if you're going to have a mass grave, it's certainly Rikers Island would be the place to, to place to do it because it's a very notorious place, and people want to avoid that area. So I could certainly see them setting up a mass grave, uh, you know, in the in the Rikers Island region. Uh, secondly, I think when you talk about in terms of transporting people across the country in terms of cadavers, you know, dead bodies. You're right. I think it's, it takes a, a, a um, it takes tremendous con- connections. That's not an easy feat in terms of moving bodies from one state to another. So clearly, the people, individuals, or organizations responsible for doing it carry some weight in terms of the ability to get things done in society. I don't. I don't think uh, any any poor individual would have that kind of money uh, in terms of transport, you know, poor bodies, you know, from you know different parts of the state. So clearly, I think that when you, when you think about it, there are, there is there is um, there is some concern in terms of um, this being orchestrated by very wealthy, very powerful people. And certainly, when we talk about wealthy and powerful people, we can't uh, uh, exclude uh, the U.S. government in terms of its participation in terms of these kind of these kind of uh, tragedies. So I think that uh, Brother Africa, you know, I I I, I think that uh, you know when we talk about seventy thousand people missing and nobody know anything at all. I think for any other group that would be that would be conspiratorial. I think that uh, the mere numbers suggest, you know, that there should be some kind of engagement, in particular with respect to the government, in terms of you know trying to find out precisely what's happening to all of these people. But the mere fact that it's been total silence suggests that perhaps there's some type of a conspiratorial um, motivation on behalf of the government to keep this information quiet. But I think that, uh, having said all that, I think it's important that the organization, our organization, we have an organization that we know that we, uh, that we know that we uh, begin to look into this thing more closely in terms of these ramifications, in terms of the impact it's having on our communities, because seventy thousand is a lot of people. 
So so we have to first and foremost engage, you know, um <clears throat> those or willingness to want to know what precisely what's going on and to proceed in directions in which maybe we may not want to go, but nonetheless leads us to the truth. So I think it's incumbent upon us to create organizations in terms of monitoring, you know, this kind of thing, because we have to know, because this is a intrinsic threat uh to all of us. Uh, you know, so uh, clearly, you know, I, I, in response to your question, I, I think that, uh, yes, the implication is that you can't exclude um, uh, governments involved in terms of this kind of travesty. Yeah, Brother Maurice, we talk about, everybody talk about crime, who are the criminals. We know from many reports and looking at the technological development that this system has, in terms of the area of surveillance, they have satellites all over this, this country, all over the world, where they can pinpoint every pimple on your face. How could this take place if no one knows nothing about it? What's your makeup of this, this incident of this great site? Well, I would first say that um, this is is not it's not shocking, but it's disgusting. You understand because. It, it was recently in a Richmond Times Dispatch. There was an article about my alma mater, Richmond University of Richmond. Um, they having a, and it was talks when I was a student there about an African burial ground being at University of Richmond. It was another article that came out um, in Florida, a golf resort. Uh, that resort, that land was built on a African mass African burial ground, and also the ongoing struggle for the African burial ground in Chaco Bottom. William and Mary, it's been all types of articles about African burial grounds. But, to, you know, and, and, and it's disgusting that our ancestors have to still be uh, uh, exploited and death at that resting place. It's sickening. Now, what is very disgusting, like I said, not shocking with, all, with, with our exploitation and our oppression, but it's disgusting when you have um, modern-day African women being buried in a mass plot with all of these, uh, with all of our sisters being lost. Now Malcolm stated it: the most, the most exploited person on the world, and the world is the African black woman. Now, years ago, back in uh, 2009, you had this situation in Cleveland, Cleveland, but and it was a brother, unfortunately, a, a, a mentally deterred brother who was kidnapping black women, and they called him the Cleveland Strangler. He was. You didn't hear nothing about it in the news till a smell and an odor in the community came about, and people started calling the news. But he, this 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 guy, he was killing black women, raping black women, and collecting their uh, corpse, 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 corpses in in his home, and it developed a a a, a, a horrible horrible smell. Um, it, it's it's sickening, and it's it's going to take. Like like organization, but it's going to take some black. It's going to take us, man. You know, to protect our women. America is not going to um, protect our women. They've been raping our women since we got to this to, to this land. They've been raping the um, Native American women since since they came and took the land from them. Um, settled uh, became a, a settler a colony. They don't care about us, man. This this is a, a, this this is sickness. And you know they like you said they got they got all of these all of this technology but they can't locate over thousands hundred thousands of black women who are missing. It's a bunch of BS, man. They ain't trying to look for them. They don't care about them. And, and I would add to this: there's been a lot about uh, kidnapping black bodies for organ harvesting. 
that ain't nothing new either, you know, but it's disgusting. A lot of these black bodies are also being used for harvest, you know, for organ harvesting. Um, it's been reports came out in California of Africans being kidnapped and their bodies being um, uh, operated, not operated on, but open, their bodies being um, cut open and no organs being present in the body. Um, so this this is what we are dealing with. Black people, African people, melanated people, we are in war. We are in a war, man. And and people think, oh, that are slavery, that was years ago. No. If you if you understand dialectics, history comes it happens in a spiral. It, it's it's an ongoing transition thing. We still we still it's still present. <laughs> the material conditions are still the same. It's, it's 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 still present. The fight is not over. People um you know uh want to celebrate uh, like like we like we won something. Oh, we're gonna celebrate Martin Luther King accomplishment. Martin Luther King said himself that he uh, integrated his people into a burning house. And that burning house was capitalism. Bourgeois, you know, he, he's a democratic socialist, but he, he realized that he was the idealistic mindset, the um, imaginary mindset of I have a dream that black black people, this this idealistic thing, we, we got to become materialistic in a, in a revolutionary sense. I'm not talking about materialistic and gimme, gimme, gimme. That's, that's capitalism. That's why they twist that word. I'm talking about materialist as an understanding the conditions that what you can see, smell, and feel what's going on around us and what's happening on our people. We, it, it's, it's, come on, man. It, we, we be honest. We need to wake up. It, it's disgusting, man. I conclude with that. It's disgusting. You know, Brother Moses, all of these incidents and issues that we are speaking to is also can be said an indictment of a cap against the capitalist system. It's an indictment not only against the system, but it's a, another example on why capitalism could not and will not be a system that will address and eradicate the suffering of African oppressed Africans and oppressed people. You agree with that assessment? Yes, uh, <clears throat> capitalism does not work and uh, has not worked and will not work. Um, I agree with the brother. We have to be dialectical and historical materialists. That's that's Marxism, um, a concrete analysis of concrete conditions, the life and soul of Marxism. So we have to look at things realistically, and see that you know this this government is capable of almost anything, and and uh, and these days more so than ever is capable of anything. And so we have to we we there is a real need for organization now. Thank you. You know, panelists, um, many people may critique the issues and problems that we're concerning as relates to the system and the history of this country as being uh, ultra-left, and what we're saying has no validity. But it seems like what we're saying is being supported by many of those um, capitalists who has been a part of the ruling class, i.e., Jimmy, former President Jimmy Carter of the United States government. He made a statement I'd like to get you to respond to, which I thought was really interesting. He wrote a statement or he wrote a letter to Donald Trump back in April 13, 2019. And in the essence of the letter, he made some real interesting observations. 
of the history of what is what has been the history and the role of the U.S. as it relates to warfare. And what he stated in essence was that he stated that over the 242 years of, of U.S. history, U.S. existence, they have they have only enjoyed of being in peace only 16 years of the 242 years. And he elaborated, I believe, ever since 1979, the U.S. has made an investment of $3 trillion into wars, whereas when you look at a country like China, they have never been in the war, and they have not spent $1 in this war machine, or, you know, this whole issue of creating wars. But he said U.S. is a is a war nation. What do y'all make a Jim Carter critique? Start with you this time, Brother Haki. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's, he's absolutely correct. I mean, anybody who knows anything about U.S. history knows that the U.S. Um, you know, um, you know, started out as an empire. This notion that they left, they left the U, left England for religious freedoms is all all BS. Their idea was to create a similar kind of system in which you know they benefit, but they essentially the the, the philosophy they guided that society was the same as it was in the U.K. And so it's always been philosophical minded. It just hasn't been ambition economically to actually carry out his um his um imperialist motives. Now given after World War after World War One, in terms of, you know, improving the economy, uh um they were able to do increasingly more in terms of, you know, uh, fulfilling their their uh, imperialist aspirations. But economic, but, but World War Two really kicked the uh, economy into high gear, which made it possible, you know, <coughs> for them to expand imperialism throughout the world. And one of the things that we had to keep in mind, and we talk about in terms of expansion of the economy, and one thing we had to understand, it was only possible because it was a result of the spreading of the wealth throughout the throughout the electorate to make it possible for people to invest, making it possible for the economy to expand, which ultimately made it possible for the U.S. to become more powerful economically, which made it possible for them to invest in other countries, you know, increasing as well. But having said that, once it um, solidified, you know, uh, um, as well, it was strategic as a position to 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 go all out in terms of this this pursuit of uh, imperialist aims and objectives, and so therefore no one is surprised that uh, when we talk about you know, 230 years of existence, only 16 years of peace. That's very very clear. I mean the wars span the globe, and so therefore anybody who understands the history of the United States who said the United States is a peace loving country that in fact it promotes democracy is someone who doesn't know anything about the U.S. history. But I think to a large extent, you got to credit the rule, the capitalist class in terms of building, in terms of um, preventing, you know, any type of intellectual thought around the idea. Because logically, if you start to think about it, when you think about all the kinds of monies that you expand in terms of trying to initiate war, then you could have used that money. This could be one of the, one of the greatest, greatest countries that ever lived in the sense that it provides for its people, that um, – you know, all the problems that uh, historically have been affiliated with, with human beings were, could be eliminated. Those potentials existed, but you can't do that in terms of spending war. But I do have one problem in terms of Jimmy Carter's observations, and that is specifically when he talks about $2 billion in terms of expenditures for war since 1917. $3 trillion. It's more than that. To date, uh, after 17 years in Afghanistan, they spent close to $3 trillion just in Afghanistan alone. That does include the other part of the world. It does include the Middle East, Africa, uh, and parts of Asia. 
we're just talking about in terms of the, we're just talking about expenditures, you know, in Afghanistan of three billion dollars. So clearly, you know, he 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 sort of lowballed that figure in terms of you know the kind of expenditures needed in terms of con- conduct you know waging war. But other other thing, brother Alfred, I think people had to understand that wars are not cheap. And as 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 they as the ruling class um, could continue to condition people to accept war, then you got to understand that war is not cheap. It's very very expensive. In fact, when you look at the Ukraine, um, in fact. The U.S. spent over $3 billion just bribing uh, Poroshenko, the former president of the Ukraine, $3 billion to him alone. They gave him $3 billion solely for the purpose of, one, antagonizing Russia, and secondly, controlling the population uh, to make it possible for U.S. armament and U.S. troops to encircle you know, Russia. So this, this is the whole notion in terms of war being cheap is soon dis- disingenuous. And so we're talking about lots and lots of money in terms of you know, war around the world. And if you look at all the money they're spending in terms of war, then if you think about in terms of the, all kind of infrastructure needs you have in a society, and you think about in terms of people need to access to education, people need access to affordable housing, people need to access, you know, um, 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 to, to you know, to um, quality education. When you think about all those things, those things are achievable. It's simply a question in terms of how this society is organized. The society is organized around war, and this is why there's a shortcoming in terms of housing, education, shelter, uh, medical care, and so forth and so on. We have to fundamentally understand that. But this war that you're talking about, uh, Brother Africa, is important we underscore that the war is not just against the world, but also a war against its own people historically. It's always been a war against its own people. And those in the American society who advocated for a more just, harmonious, a more fair system, uh, at the expense of the wealthy who want to maintain control at all costs. So this war has not only existed in terms of the U.S. against other nations around the world, particularly people of color around the world, but it's also been a war against even Europe itself. And so when we talk about in terms of the kind of antagonism that exists between Europe and the U.S., you know, understand that um, places like Germany, the leadership of Germany, understand that, you know, U.S. is simply out of control and the possibility in terms of economic vitality for the world, except out of the question, who are opting to leave, get away from the United States. So clearly, this question in terms of war is very, very expensive, uh, ex- very, very expensive, and uh, we got to understand that. You know, if we're sincere in terms of, you know, our need for, you know, for quality housing, uh, education, health care, and so forth and so on, then we got to understand that we have to end these crazy as wars. Brother Anthony, your take on this notion that of the total existence of the U.S. in existence over 242 years, only 16 years have been the period where the U.S. has not been in the war. What you make of that um, exception by Jimmy Carter and the amount of money they spend on war, on war versus the lack of money that China has spent on war, well, you know, ever since at least 1979, according to him. Mm-hmm. Take on that, just an assessment. What do you conclude? I would say that? his assessment is accurate. The only the only thing that might, uh, that that's probably off is the is the dollar figure he gave on on what the U.S. spends on war uh, versus uh, China. I think the U.S. has spent more on war than that. But the essence of what he's saying is accurate. I mean, the U.S. was founded by war, by by waging warfare. 
it stole it stole the land from the uh, from the indigenous people in the Western Hemisphere, and it used uh, 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 cheap labor from Africa in order to develop the resources of the land that that's stolen from the indigenous people. And uh, that and that involved uh, what 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 Asian war, not 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 only with uh, only with England, but also with uh, even other European nations, and it colluded in terms of um, you know uh, of uh, making it difficult for for, for Haiti uh, to develop uh, economically. Even though, uh, big, uh, because one of the countries that Haiti had to fight against to get its independence was the U.S. And so the U.S. has always been, uh, 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 been against the interests of African people throughout its history. And, uh, and uh, a nation founded by violence and warfare uh, would know, uh, you know, a uh, little peace, and there has been uh, uh, very uh, uh, few periods in this history where it has not been at war with somebody, and uh, and this so-called uh, uh, war on terror is a rules for continuous warfare against, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the the exploited countries of the world. And only uh, and only organizing for a, a change in the system will, will will put an end to it. So, brother Maurice, brother Moses, when we talk about the history of the U.S., when we talk about these African politicians running to hold positions of authority, in essence, what impact can they truly have? On changing the direction and the nature and the makeup of this country, based upon the history that Brother Jimmy Carter have just expressed and articulated, Brother Maurice and Brother Moses, give me your your, your critique on on that possibility or that reality. What kind of games are these politicians, particularly African politicians, are really playing with the people? We're talking about changing the nature and the makeup of this country. You know, there's an old saying that you can tell, you know, tell um, something by the nature of its fruits that it develops or create. So, we can see for 240 years, U.S. has a history and an origin and a legion to war. Response, Brother Maurice and dear Brother Moses. Uh, like uh, Brother Anthony stated, this is this is how they function. This is how their system, uh, capitalism, function. Everywhere that the uh, European man went, there's been some type of divide and some type of war, some type of violence. This is how they function. It's it's a paras it's a parasitic parasite uh, type of system that is that is being operated here. Jim Carter, what he what he said, yeah, we can say it's right, but his action actions, man, speak louder than words. He, you know, he um, he he led a system that was built, like I said, off 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 of war. They they conquer Africa through through war and violence. You, you know, with they're taking a gunpowder from the China man and and making it to a gun, 
to give give it a slow. This this is what we're dealing with. This is our culture, man. Violence is in our culture. It's in our propaganda. It's in our movies, uh, in our video games, toy store. You can go get a toy gun, a bomb. This is what it is, man. This this is our culture. We you know we sports. You know it's it's violent. It's contact. This is what it's built on. And and um they need wars. They need violence to to um keep their system going to feed the beast to feed the machine. Um, and it would take and the, the great war that that's going to have that's going to have to happen is a class collision that um, uh, I'm call Cabral speaks about a class collision. A class collision needs to happen. Class collision meaning a revolution among the masses, a guerrilla uh, warfare. You know, we we talk about Cuba. Cuba, Cuba. You don't see Cuba going nowhere in other countries causing war. You don't see Venezuela going in other in other countries causing war. You're seeing European countries going in other people's land and telling them how to run the land and killing their leaders and taking their land and confusing the, and, and, and uh, confusing uh, the people, um, uh, making the people ignorant to what's going on. This is, this is a parasitic type of system we're dealing with, and it's, it's going to continue to go to war. War will never end under, Ameri- uh, under American imperialism, capitalism, Western. It will never end. You will always have war until we. Uh, become political mature to organize among ourselves to put an end to this system. I mean, we're going to have to deal with it. People talking about, oh, you can't talk like that. You Don't don't talk like that. They killed our leaders. They killed every time that somebody speak up, they, they quarantine pro us. They CIA us. Brother, like like Brother uh, uh, um, Haki stated earlier with the police brutalities, the mass grades, grades of African women, we died anyhow, bruh. Uh, you know, we die anyhow, you know. So we got to organize. We have nothing nothing to lose at this point but our liberation. And that's what we got to get to understand right now. You know, Brother Africa, one of the things is that, you know, we can't under, under, underscore enough the kind of uh, uh, premiums that are paid as a result of war. So you got these large corporations, these wealthy individuals investing in the military infrastructure of the United States. They're making billions and billions of dollars. And so there's a real incentive in terms of making sure war happens. So if there's the war going on, they'll create one. Right now they're talking about uh, going to war with Iran. Can you know now you know that these capitalists are saying, Wow, war with Iran, that's even more billions of dollars. And so therefore there's a lot of pressure in terms of going to war simply because these people prosper. If it was a democracy, then there'd be a certain amount of transparency and we can see who the people are in terms of benefiting from war. But because it's not a democracy, these people uh, work in secrecy. And so, to, so therefore, they'll be able to make investments, make billions and millions of dollars to call policies to corrupt um, uh, politicians, by the way, doesn't take a lot to corrupt a politician. Uh, I think they're predisposed to be corrupted. But anyway, uh, there's lots of money to be to be made in terms of war, and that's the thing that you know we also got to keep in mind. So when we talk about expenditures for war, we're not talking about the the the, the, the other aspects in terms of you know preparation for war, uh, the military equipment. We're not talking. That's a separate thing. Defense spending. That's a separate thing. Uh, bribing leaders internationally. That's a separate thing. All of those costs we're not even talking about. We're just talking about the cost of the war per se. We're not even talking about those other things. So when you get right down to it, I mean, they're spending literally 
they're spending, I mean, uh, hundreds, I mean, they're spending tens of trillions of dollars in terms of waging war around the world. They don't care. Simply because they're in a position where they can arbitrarily print up money because as, 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 as the American economy goes, you know, it's not bound, you know, by any particular standard. There's no gold standard that exists, and so therefore they're free to print up money, and it's backed by only because they say so, not backed up by anything, anything at all. So therefore they can have endless wars because they can print up all the money they need. So this is the problem that we're confronted with in terms of endless war, and uh, the question is, where these will these wars end? And uh, you've got to be very candid and understand that these wars will never end. You know, as Brother said, as long as capitalism is in the driver's seat, then these wars are never going to end. And that's a whole, that's a cold, hard reality. Brother Moses, jump on in and talk to us. Yeah, well, Dwight Eisenhower warned about the military-industrial complex, and you know, by the time he said it, it already existed. And so we have what we have here is a war machine, um, uh-huh. and so you know we we need to stop the war machine. And um, the thing is, uh, capitalism is never going to fall by itself. It it always can reform and readapt and and mutate. And uh, so nothing reactionary falls of its own accord. It has to be toppled, which means it's definitely going to take some organization and some consciousness. Thank you. You know, Brother Hackey, you alluded to the issue of how individuals fought before war, and one of the things you must look at war in terms of a historical point of view, they used to teach you that wars were good to stimulate the economy. But they have now even openly admitted no matter what walls you have today, it has no relationship to the economy or stimulate the economy. It only seeks to enrich individuals. Pamela, your response to that reality? Yeah, back, yeah, back, you know, you know, um, back World War One, World War Two, wars did stimulate the economy. Simply because at that point in time, you know, there were mass movements in America around, you know, around communism and socialism. And so, therefore, the ruling class saw their interest in terms of spreading that wealth. In the process of spreading that wealth, money flowed through the system, and the economy actually expanded. So the economy did improve greatly. So it did benefit in that sense. But what happened since then is that we're facing a totally different uh, economic paradigm, and that is that, you know, uh, back, in the, um, back, in, back in the early 70s, when the U.S. switched from an industrial economy to a capital-based economy, then the, the rules of the game simply changed. And so, therefore, the way in which you make you become rich now is not in terms of creating things. The wealth is created now simply by having access to investments. And so, therefore, in that sense, so when you go to war, you know, there, there, there is no money to be had because all the money that's being accrued is going to directly to a ruling class in terms of investments. It's not going to the working class people. They build armament. They build all of that, the, 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 the weaponry. They build that. But they don't see the benefits of that. That goes directly to the ruling class. And so, therefore, it doesn't extend the economy. The wealthy take that money, and, they, and, and, and what they do is they hide it in offshore accounts. And so when we talk about $24 trillion of, of unaccounted money you know, in all, on offshore accounts, that has a huge impact in terms of overall function of the U.S. economy. And this is why when we talk about the decline, the decline of capitalism, understand that decline of capitalism is inevitable. Even if we did nothing at all, let's say we did nothing at all, it's going to decline, it'll fall on its own. But the problem is that in order to preserve it, what they're going to do, they're going to make it look like it's everybody else responsible for the decline of the economy and therefore come at the people 
uh, the masses of people and deem them the problem and not the system itself. So, so, so clearly, you know, you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. Um, going to war is no benefit to the economy. It doesn't stimulate the economy one, one, one iota. Uh, and uh, that's not going to change because of the nature of how, how, how wealth is accumulated in American society. So until we come to fundamentally come to grasp with the fact that, you know, that this system that empowers the wealthy at the expense of all others, then nothing's going to change. And until the people come to, come to that reality, we'll never work together and stand up together in terms of trying to fight the, this, this insane system. Mm-hmm. I think people have to realize that the global implications of this. We cannot continue to look at, uh, uh, because I think uh, a, a, a major problem that a lot of Africans see themselves as Americans, and we paint ourselves into a corner by doing that. And we do not align with, uh, with you, you know, with people who who, who we should uh, who would be our natural allies, which would be other a- Africans in other parts of the diaspora and Africans at home. Uh, see, see, we're we're only we we because we paint ourselves into this corner, we see ourselves as a minority. And really, we, and really, uh, internationally, we're nearly one third, one third of the world's population, but we're disorganized, and uh, and uh, we cannot, and because we're disorganized, we cannot pull our intellect and our resources together, and take control of our resources, and and therefore, and put and put an end to imperialism. But because we are disunited, and because we 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 look, we 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 look we see ourselves in these terms in terms of these small groupings instead of one uh, you know one people, uh, we 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 made that mistake. And what we need is a massive organization. But it starts with us being organized, and we can. And because someone stated earlier that the only thing that capitalism understands is power, and that's true. But we only have power if we are organized. You know, panelists, let's make this transition since we talk a little bit about our brother, Dr. King. I'd like to hear y'all take on this phenomenon in terms of how should King be best remembered and understood from your perspective for understanding the life and work of Dr. King? Start with you, Brother Moses. What do you think of the life and work of Dr. King? How do you view his work? I think Dr. King had a lot of great insights into society and how how the world operates, and he had um, um, insights into the solution to the problem. And he he definitely had analyzed and saw capitalism and, and the roots of capitalism and how how it founded on the backs of black people and and that we that we had built it up and made it possible um, through our enslavement and exploitation and so you know he he was ahead of his time and um, um, he definitely thought we had a, a sweat equity in in. Inside the United States, and he 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 wanted his piece of the pie 
here in the U.S. of A. And that was where he was coming from. And um, so I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Brother Maurice, how are you looking, Jew? The lessons and legacy of Dr. King. Oh. First of all, we gotta we gotta go and, and study the real king, not not this propaganda king that they give us. King made a speech about the independence of Ghana at his church. He did it at his church after visiting Ghana um, Independence um, event in Puma. In the name of the speech, I urge our listeners to go listen to. It's right on YouTube. It's raw audio audio of him speaking, and it's called the birth of a, of a new nation. The speech is called, titled, The Birth of a New Nation. Martin Luther King, you know, he had a sense of pan-Africanism. He, he definitely uh, was a socialist. He understood that capitalism and imperialism um, it was the main, was, was our main um, enemy. He understood that uh, his Poor People Campaign March was, was going to address that. He, he, he called it the triple, triple evils, you know, uh, militarism, racism, and uh, poverty. So this is what we this is this, this is this this is the king we need to understand. You know, we need to understand that king. We we focus too much on I have a dream speech king because that's what the propaganda wanted us to the direction they wanted us to go. King said his himself that he regretted he regretted that speech he regretted of integrating us in a house in a in a burning house. King King made those uh, critique self critique on this out. That's a part of political organization, being, making critiques, um, criticisms, and, and having self-criticisms. He understood that. He understood the means of organization. And I will conclude with this. Kramer stated that Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer but wasn't a great organizer. But And, and I agree to, the, to that extent because we have to – this is where we're at today. We have to build institutions that will progress our freedom and, and, and progress to the destruction of the system that we under, this oppressive system that we under, and that, I believe King King was trying to get. He, I, I would say he was trying to get to that point, but like I said, we got to read the the real King, not the King that they give us. You know, King um, stood against Vietnam. He wasn't. He was an unbought preacher. You couldn't. You, he, he, you couldn't buy him off. Be bought off. That's why they killed him. You know, that's why they assassinated uh, assassinated him. He knew exactly who his enemy was. That's the king we need to focus on. We need to focus on on, on that speech, focus on that king and that mindset when he gave that speech of the birth of a new nation. That's what we need, that direction we need to focus on, of, of king. Brother Anthony, many times when we reduce king to a speech, and one speech only, I have a dream. We know he made many excellent speeches, which most people know nothing about. Give us your take on King and his legacy, or how we should view him. Well, um, well, uh, let's see. I, I I think King has to be evaluated as you would evaluate any person by the whole, not just uh, you you know by one speech, and then leave out totally leave out his political development during the rest of his life. And he made a lot. He did a lot of work after the march on Washington. A great, as a matter of fact, that's why he was assassinated, as as uh, Brother Maurice stated. He was he was uh, 
getting to the point where he was internationalizing the struggle. He wasn't uh, relegating it just to, uh, you, you know, uh, re- reforms inside the U.S. And uh, and uh, he was moving towards uh, advocating for, uh, 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 for for socialism. And also, and he was and he was talking about changing the system, not merely learning how to play the game, but change the system entirely. That's what Essence of the Poor People's Campaign was about. But, uh, you know, but he was coming to that point and he was assassinated by the forces of imperialism because of his stance. And uh, he has to be looked at as a whole. And also his work in Africa has to be ta- uh, taken into account. Uh, because there are people that 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 are still going around claiming that he, that King never said nothing about Africa. That is not true. And so, we, so we have to uh, re- recognize his revolutionary essence, and that can be only looked at by looking at his whole career, especially his last speech. Can, can, can I add one more thing? Yeah, good, brother Maurice. Real, real brief, real brief, and, and brother, everything brother Anthony st- stated is, 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 is totally correct. And I will add one more thing: for Martin Luther King Day or April Fourth, the day he assassinated. For your listeners out there, please um, just don't go to his. You know, you can go to study. You know, study for yourself, but please just don't do photo ops at the Martin Luther King Monument. A statue, or at 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 uh, in Memphis where he assassinated, was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel. We, we, you know, we turned King into a, to a, they turned King anyhow. Not we, they turned King to a, to a tourist attraction. Oh, let's come here. We're gonna take a picture at the, at the Martin Luther King statue. Oh, let's go, let's go where he uh, was dead, where his man was murdered. At. We're gonna take pictures. Man, no, that's BS, man. Like, like we, we, we've been advocating throughout this show, the entirety of of this show, platform existence. We have to organize ourselves. We have to study. We have to read. That's what King would want us to do. And that concludes. I just wanted to add that point. All these photo ops with pictures where he, you know, he got killed there where he ate, where he ate a, a plate of pork chops at. Oh, King ate pork chops here, chicken head. Hey, man, we got to get off that. We got to get to work, man. Brother Maurice, I mean, Brother Haki, your narrative and take on King and his legacy. What he meant to you and your understanding of his his works and his commitment to his people and humanity? Yeah, well, <clears throat> as, as everybody alluded to, uh, you know, he evolved. I mean, initially his whole thing was, you know, just to be, you know, just to be a part of this and that, you know, by sheer will of morality that he could convince people in terms of what was right. And he becomes somewhat disillusioned to begin to understand that simply discussion around morality or trying to impact people around uh, immorality simply was not workable, and so therefore he had to re-question, re- he had to uh, question, you know, the validity of the beliefs that he held. I think, but the thing that sealed it for for Martin Luther King, I think, by and large, was his meeting with Malcolm X. I think once he started talking about the fact that America is the greatest purveyor of violence, and the meeting with Malcolm X, uh, it sort of um, confirmed, uh, you know, the validity. Of Malcolm's stand, 
you know, uh, that uh, African people have a right to defend themselves by any means necessary. So I think at that point that he uh, he he consolidated with um, with um, uh, if, if 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 such a thing exists, uh, that moment that uh, he he jailed with um, um, Malcolm X, then at that point that the, the powers that be realized he's got to die, because at that point he had certain clarity. He understood that uh, the, 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 the struggle of African people in American society is a bit more complex than he had envisioned, and that he was con- really concerned about in terms of liberation of African people, and he realized that this liberation couldn't be achieved by simply paying, playing by rules of the game. And so, therefore, once he came to that real, realization, he had to die. And I think that's the reason why they, they, they assassinated him, because they understood that, you know, uh, you have uh, with, with, with Malcolm up north talking about you know, true liberation and Martin coming down south talking true liberation, that represents the entire African nation. And so, therefore, he he represents a tangible threat to the powers that be. So I think that's the reason why they, they killed him. But clearly, um, this notion about I have a dream that all men are created by the content of the, of the skin and not the color, the color but created by the, what is it, the content of their character, not the color of their skin. You know, I'm so tired of hearing that, you know what I mean? You, you know, that's what the conservatives always bring out. In other words, it sort of sort of uh, evades this question around the how the system actually operates. And so, when you can when you can imply that the problem is, comes down to individuals, you essentially um, remove any discussion around how the system operates in terms of how it creates disparity, how it creates racism, how it creates injustice. And so, therefore, we should not be deceived by those who talk about the Martin Luther King, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, position. Uh, because that doesn't adequately, you know, um, um, talks uh, talks about, you know, um, you know, uh, or speaks to just how complex, you know, uh, Martin Luther King was. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We are discussing uh, very issues that are affecting our people in the world, and the segment of what's going on in your world and the community. Before we make our closing remarks, what we would like to do right now, this is the first part of a three-part series called Weapons, Technology, and Oppression. What we'd like to do is we're going to take a quick station break, and when we come back, we'd like to go to something earlier that Brother Anthony talked about in terms of something that really um taking place back home in Africa in terms of wars that are being fought in Africa. In this case, we're talking about Kenya and other nations and that relationship with tourism, but more importantly, how they are exploiting using women, and women as a tool around war and exploitation. We would like to get a, some additional discussion on that, then we'll be closing out. So that's the remaining of this program, so we're going to pause for this cause. Don't you go nowhere. And if you're online and listen to our program, please ask you to dial in right away at 323- Six seven nine zero eight four one to listen to the remaining of the program. This is Africa on the Move. We said the seat. We'll take the heat. We'll be defining it. We'll stand behind it. We'll be right back. Oh, oh, oh. 
That's right, say it again. What is war good for? Absolutely nothing. Enrich the rich and make the oppressed more oppressed. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move. We're winding down to our closing remarks uh, for this program. Before we get to our closing remarks, earlier in the segment, what's going on in your world community, I would like to get the the panelists and this feedback and narrative on the implications of what's happening if reported is true about countries at war with each other and one of the cases and we're talking about Kenya and its relation to tourism as well as war in terms of how African women have been used as tools of exploitation and tools of sexual oppression. Um, Brother Anthony, can you talk a little bit more about that? And what does that say about the state of African leadership of African people? Do we have such a condition um, as this other the terms where women are being now swapped off as a form of a economic uh, body for certain economic um, benefits and privileges? Okay, certainly. Um I read a, uh, a, a, an article in a newspaper that was uh, that was a Facebook uh, uh, post uh, from uh, the Verdesmeyer um, uh, that's run by uh, uh, comrade Kid Asrup, and uh, the article talked about how how the the, the poverty in Kenya. Uh, is is so bad that in certain coastal towns along the Kenyan coast, uh, let's see, Africans are 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 pimping their spouses and children in order to generate income because they can make uh, that they can make more money that way than the, to to meet their expenses. Than they could by uh, uh, you know by other means, and what and uh, what ha- uh, what's happening is that European tourists, primarily from Europe, and to a certain extent uh, uh, parts of Asia, uh, you know co- uh, you know come into Kenya and they 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 pay that they engage in sex, sex trafficking. With these, uh, with these, uh, you know, young women, and some cases uh, older women as well, and uh, they, and and they, uh, and and it has, um, and you know, with all the devastation and uh, and 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 disease and um, you know, uh, 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 unexpected pregnancies that occur with that. Uh, now uh, it should be noted that uh, that uh, wh- wherever there are foreign military bases, prostitution tends to be rampant, and that's whether you're talking about Asia, uh, Africa, or or, or cent- Central South America and the Caribbean. Uh, you know wherever there are military bases, and also in areas where there is a tourist industry. Because tourism basically caters to uh, petty bourgeois and bourgeois elements in uh, these capitalist uh, countries, and uh, it's having a devastating impact. 
you know, and uh, it speaks to the need for uh, for Africa to get organized and put an end to uh, imperialism. Also, after I've heard discussions of other programs, other articles, also talk about the same phenomenon of how they use African women under the pretext of wars. You know, they got countries, and they like sort of trading them off in terms of um, areas. I think they were talking about like in Sudan and Congo. So it's happening all over from what, what I understand in terms of how women are being viewed and look at. And actually, you know, this not necessarily a, something new because, you know, historically, uh, if you look at a lot of countries, they have always used women as 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 a exploited um, tools, uh, particularly the question of sex when it came to war and the so-called victor. They claim goes to sports and they see women in light. But for African people to participate in it, 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 it says something, Brother Haki. What should we make on, on this dynamic? Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, well, the there's no question about it that the um, the conditions are rough. I mean, that's there's no question about that. And certainly, you, there's certain kind of uh, material things you need in terms of your your existence. And so it becomes problematic for a lot of poor women, you know, in in Africa. Uh, but I want, might add that in addition to the exploitation of poor African women on the continent, you also had a situation where. Uh, Europeans go to Africa in terms of, you know, to seek, you know, um, uh, that homosexual lifestyle. And so you got countless brothers uh, dying in Africa, you know, from, uh, you know, from, from survival who actually prepped themselves out, you know, who engage in, in, who engage in relationship with these men who end up with AIDS and end up dying. So it's a, a real problem all, all across the board. And when you talk about the fact that uh, the family units, uh, the men specifically are using their wives in terms of going out to, for the sole purposes of you know bringing in resources into the home. That has been a long, long, been a long, long problem in terms of particularly for for Kenya. It's not only just on the coastal regions of Kenya, but it's also in terms of this capital itself, Nairobi, um, Kiambu, um, you know, um, and 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 the list goes on and on in terms of that kind of activity. So clearly, you know, um, you know, the problem is that, um, you know, until you have African leadership, you know, uh, who change the conditions that uh, Africans are subjected to, you know, the temptations to do that in terms of survival is, is very, very real. So there's no condemnation in terms of, you know, Africans. I mean, you, our brothers and sisters got to do what they got to do to survive. You know, we would like to see a situation where sisters don't have to do that. That's what we want to see. Uh, but the same token, we understand that unless these damn African leaders stand up and change the conditions that the people are subjected to, uh, they, there, there's no hope. And so, therefore, they, they reach out for whatever they see as, uh, as viable in terms of you know, uh, necessity or, or at least um, enabling them to, to, you know, to better survive. So the very, very uh, traumatic situation for so many people back home, you know, um, and but not just back home, but in the U.S. as well. So let's, let's be very real about that. It doesn't just happen in the, on the continent. It happens throughout the world. It happens in the U.S. as well. And so it all speaks to just the, the malevolent nature, you know, of, uh, of capitalism and why capitalism has to be demolished, why it has to be destroyed. Because, you know, there is no humanity as long as capitalism exists. And so, therefore, if we want to put an end to these kind of practices, then we have to empower women. But we only can do that by destroying capitalism. Well, Maurice, your... your, your... Reflection on this issue, and then Brother Moses. 
Well, well, it, it's, it's like Brother Haki can said no better. We we need a uh, different leadership. People like Thomas Sankara, people like Kwame Nkrumah, people like Sekou Ray, uh, Patrice Lumumba was humanist. Uh, they, they believe they believe in true humanity, humanism principles. Capitalism does not have any uh, whatsoever humanistic um, principles. They have sexual bro- sex sex brothels with children, boys and girls, and uh, of African. Uh, uh, countries and area nations, even their own kind, you know, but specifically African kids and hate whether it be Haiti, whether it be Africa, Congo, Kenya, what you know, and all these places on on, on the um, Caribbean, and we got to understand that, that that this sexual exploitation is a product of again the same system we've been talking about all night, capitalism. Under slavery, they had a system called butt breaking, where the white slave masters would uh, rape. Black men in front of their families, and not only black men, black uh, strong black men who 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 rebelled against uh, the system of uh, of slavery during that time on the, on the Caribbean. It was very strong, and that's why in my study, that's why I believe that uh, reggae artists and you know uh, Jamaica uh, reggae artists in Jamaica have a strong hate for homosexuality because of these type of things that that take place among Africans, you know. Brother Moses, your response to this issue? Yeah, um, this this situation um, is a terrible situation. Um, um, I agree with what's been said so far. Um, the 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 pressures of survival uh, in a in a in those kind of situations is is immense, and um. I don't know, without some kind of uh, um, philosophical, you know, ethical, moral code or something, uh, one definitely is is, is open to uh, the other possibilities. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not just an individual problem, though. It's a, it's a question of the government and what's emanating and being perpetuated by the government and whether it's a profit driven system or a people driven system and and so we got to get a people driven system into these into the world thank you all right panelists we'd like to thank y'all all job well done tonight and we speak to the first part of a series of weapons technology and oppression we'd like each one of y'all to give maybe y'all final thoughts for tonight and Brother Moses, we will, we will go to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been interesting and uh, very educational. Uh, I think, you know, the 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 issue of liberation uh, uh, for Africans, you know, on the continent or 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 in the motherland or rather or, or here in the U.S. and at various places around the world is, is, is uh, a strategical and tactical problem. Uh, and I'm believing internal contradictions. And, and so that's why, you know, the, the internal contradicts within the United States government are, are critical in terms of advancing the struggle. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. 
And we now go to Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, I should, I, I, the reality is that the situation is becoming extremely grim, and the kind of maneuvering that's taking place behind the scene, particularly with respect to economics, I encourage people to read the Wall Street Journal. I encourage people to read the Burns Report because it details exactly precisely what's going on and why it's going on. And uh, the more we understand economics, then the more we not only understand the, the absurdity of the system, but understand the intrinsic threat to our lives. So I encourage people to read those those news, those newspapers. And as closing, Brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix because it's key in terms of longevity in society. Thank you, Brother Hackey, as well, for your contribution to today's program. And we now go to Brother Anthony for your final thoughts. Brother Anthony. Yes, my final thought for tonight is in light of all the problems we're facing, we need to be organized more than ever, and I encourage all uh, all Africans to join a political organization that is working for our people's liberation. Uh, one organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc. Brother Anthony, thank you as well for your contribution to today's program. To our listening audience, listening audience, our friends and supporters, we'd like to thank you for your continued support on Africa on the Move. And remind you that you can hear this program every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. And we seek to speak truth to power and to provide you with information again so that you become conscious of your environment or your world, and hopefully you'll get a better understanding of what is your responsibility towards helping to liberate your people. Until next time, let's always remember to try to go forward hour, back on hour, and to our African sisters, we recognize that as a press sector of, of the society, whether it comes in the form of race, class, or gender, we want you to let you realize that keep your heads up, things will, will get better, and we're going to win this. We love you, and we'll see you next week on Africa on the Moon. So, sisters, keep your head up. The black of the best, the sweet of the juice. I taste the dark of the flesh and the deep of the roots. I give a holler to my sister's own welfare. You rock in, if don't nobody else can. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. When you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. So please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up. Forget, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up. And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him. And if you can't learn to love you, you should leave him. Cause sister, you don't need and I ain't trying to catch up, I just call them how I see. You know what makes me unhappy? That when brothers make mates and leave a young mother to be a cat. And since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and I came from a woman. I wonder why we take from my women, why we rape our women, do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies. 
I'm in bed. 